scripture reading will be from First uh, Samuel twenty-four, one through ten. That's page two sixty-six in the Pew Bible. Now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines. It was told him, saying, Take note, David is in the wilderness of En-Gedi. Then Saul took three thousand chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. So he came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave, and Saul went in and attended to his needs. David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. Then the men of David said to him, This is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hands, that you may do to him as it seems good to you. And David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now it happened afterwards that David, David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing that he is the anointed of the Lord. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. David arose afterwards, went out of the cave, and called out to Saul, saying, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stopped. David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Indeed, David seeks your harm? Look this day in your eyes. Look this day. Your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you, delivered you the day, this day in my hand in the cave. And someone urged me to kill you, but my eyes spared you and said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest this morning, again, we welcome you. Uh, You're an encouragement to us, and we hope that your time here will be an encouragement to you. How'd you get here? I don't mean like your vehicle or your walk, but where you are in life. How did you get here? When we think about maybe there's someone here even this morning, maybe there's several, maybe many of us have been there, to where we wake up one day and, like the prodigal son, it says in Luke 15, he came to his senses. Have you ever wondered what that moment must have been like? Sure. We can wonder, and most of us know what that moment was like. Where we find ourselves in the midst of a life, in the midst of doing something to where finally when we wake up, we come to our senses. It's kind of a looking up and it's a looking down and it's a grabbing the forehead and it's saying, what have I done? How did I get to this point? Why am I doing this? And sometimes we like to try to justify to say, this isn't me. How, how did I get to this place in life? And maybe there's someone here this morning, and maybe there's many, and maybe all of us have been there at one point in our life, where maybe we've just walked out of a period of worship. And maybe we've never felt so close to God in all of our life. 
And maybe we've reflected upon the blessings that God has given us. And maybe it's, it's because a spiritual family has touched us in a powerful way. Maybe it's because we have seen the answer to prayer directly from God. Maybe we've just stopped and we've counted our blessings until we have lost number of how great they are. And maybe even at a time like that, with such humbleness and thanksgiving, we actually say, how did I get here? I don't really deserve to be here. How did I get here? This morning, will you really give some serious thought to where are you and how did you get there? Because you see, life is all about a journey and every journey has a destination. And the text that was just so capably read reminds us of two men who were on totally different journeys. They had arrived in life at different places. And if, if you can imagine a man like Saul, who knew that David was the anointed, he knew that he was going to be the next king. Now think about this. We're not just talking about an office, a mayor, a president. This is God's man. This is God's man selected to lead God's people. And you know what Saul is saying? Saul is saying, I'm going to kill him. I want to kill God's anointed. How did he get there? Or then we have a man in this very same story like David. And David was a man who was after God's own heart. David was a man that in this story, we'll see in just a few minutes, the very fact, he had the opportunity to try to kill the one that's trying to kill him. And you know why he wouldn't kill him? Because he had so much respect for God's plan that he refused to kill the man who was seeking to kill him. How do we get to the point of that kind of commitment? This morning... I want to just skim over the surface of several stories throughout 1 Samuel. And three of these chapters are chosen because I want us to see how did Saul get on this path. And then three of these chapters are chosen because I want us to see how David got on this path. And the text that was read, it's literally the very closing. It's the last chapter that we'll just skim some things out of. And hopefully all of us will see that there is a path that is righteous. And there's a path that brings great reward. And there's a path that hopefully we would find ourselves day after day in God's blessing saying, I'm so thankful that I'm here. Maybe this morning we find ourselves on this path. And if so, this would be the morning to say, I need to change directions. I need a different path in life. Because every path has a destination. Jesus is on the other end of this path and He's gone to prepare a place for us, John 14. Satan is on the other end of this path and there is a destination prepared for Him also and all those that He is their Master. Let's look beginning at 1 Samuel, the 13th chapter. We have the story of Saul being king at this point in 1 Samuel, the 13th chapter. And he is in Gilgal and he is surrounded by Philistines. That was the continual enemy of the children of Israel, especially in this day and time. And he has, if you'll just try to imagine this in your mind, surrounding him 30,000 chariots. Man, by Philistines. Just imagine every man, woman, boy, and girl in the city of Mount Juliet. Every one of them being a soldier in a chariot. 
And then beside them are 6,000 men on horses. And then beside them are countless numbers of, of individual soldiers. And Saul, and I want you to keep noticing this as we go through the scripture, Saul becomes afraid. That is a continual characteristic of people that are on this path. Where am I today? Am I afraid today? Am I afraid because there are things wrong about my heart and about my life because I'm on the wrong path? And so he looks around and instead of, like for example later on we're going to see when David faces enemies, he looks at them with courage because he declares God is with him. Saul's not doing that. He looks around and he becomes nervous and the people are afraid because their leader's afraid. It's time to make a burnt offering and a peace sacrifice and the priest is not there yet. And when Samuel seems to be a little bit late showing up for the sacrifice, you know what he does? It's almost as if he says, well, I'm king. I'll just offer the sacrifice myself. God had very clearly set in order who was and was not to make sacrifices. Only those who were the priests. And so when we read here in the 13th chapter, notice verse 12 and 13, after he makes this offering, we see Samuel's response as we continue reading in verse 12. Then I said, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal and have not made the supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. This is how he's explaining it to Samuel. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God which he commanded you for now the Lord will have established your kingdom over Israel forever and the next verse tells us God began seeking for a man that would lead Israel in the way that God wanted Israel to be led why because it was pride that moved him into foolish action. Speaking of foolish actions, the very next chapter is a time where because of Jonathan's help, Saul's son, they were getting a leg up on the Philistines and they were pursuing them. And Saul, instead of being humble and rewarding his soldiers for their grand pursuit, he makes a rash vow and he says, no man's going to eat until past the evening time when I have vengeance upon my enemy. Hear that pride? I have vengeance upon my enemy. But think about that. We've got men in war. And you're going to tell them they can't eat. And not only that, you're going to punish them by death if they do eat. And not only that, how are you going to communicate it to the whole army? You see, there's so many things that proved that he had not thought through this, that he was not a man of wisdom. Wait a minute. What is a common characteristic of people on this path? They're fearful. They're pride-filled. And please get this. Foolishness always follows pride. Jonathan, his son, a great warrior, as a matter of fact, we could make an argument for him being very similar to David in his ability uh, to lead in war and, and courage, definitely. He had not heard of this rash vow that his father had made. The soldier had gone into a forest and they saw honey comb and, and honey dripping from the comb. And so he came in not knowing the vow. He puts his rod down into the honey and he begins to eat. And then he learns of what his father had foolishly done. When we look over there in the 14th chapter, look at verse 29. This is how Jonathan describes it. Jonathan said, my father has troubled the land. Let that sink in. 
Is that the way you want to be described? Because by the way, Jonathan was just being, uh, he, he was being honest here. He wasn't, he wasn't lashing out in a disrespectful way towards his father. He's being honest. My father's troubled the land. Fill you into that blank in whatever relationships you have. You a husband? My father has troubled our family. Your wife? My mother has troubled our family. My co-worker has troubled the workplace. My neighbor has troubled our street. We used to get along as neighbors, but not since they've moved in. What is this path right here? This path is full of pride. It's full of foolishness that brings trouble wherever it goes. And then we see the open disobedience similar to the 13th chapter, but in a sense, this is the final straw with God. God is a just God. Therefore, evil has to be punished. God promised Amalek that they would be punished for their sins against Israel. You remember when they were coming out of, the, out of their bondage and being led toward the Canaan's land, they came in behind Israel, and you can imagine leading a large group of people the weaker and the older ones and the slower ones are going to be at the rear of the pack. And they overtook and they slaughtered the weaker ones. And God promised that he would bring vengeance back upon Amalek. And so in the 15th chapter, he sends Saul and the army of Israel to go and utterly destroy every Amalek that was alive. Amalekite, every one of them, whether it was a nursing child or a man, a woman, it didn't matter. And all of their animals, all the oxen, the, the camels, the donkeys, the sheep, everything was to be destroyed. Saul leads the army. Except he goes and he spares the best and slays the rest. Brings back the king. Brings back the best of the oxen, the best of the camel. But you can just imagine, all of the best he brings back. Samuel is so disappointed as he approaches Saul to find out that what he can hear in the background is livestock. He hasn't obeyed. Again, he tries to lie his way through this and declare that first it was the people's fault and, and then even in the midst of that declares, we still have obeyed everything that God says. You remember that passage in the 15th chapter? I ask you to hear it afresh. If you've heard it so many times that you don't really think deeply about it, think deeply about it now as you think about what is this pathway here. It's a pathway like this. He was declaring that really the reason that they kept all of these spoils was they were going to make a sacrifice that was just going to be an amazing sacrifice to God. But keep in mind, all of this is a result of the disobedience of God. And so here's what we read in verse 22, 1 Samuel 15. Has the Lord his great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Do you understand what Samuel is saying there? So you're going to bring, in a disobedient way, you're going to bring all of these great sacrifices and think because they're a great sacrifice that makes up for your disobedience that brought these sacrifices. You can imagine Samuel had to at times just shake his head and think, where is this guy coming from? But notice, he compares this 
He says, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is a sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. In that day and time, as we should also, idolatry and witchcraft, they were really, really looked down upon. We should still look down upon those. He takes and says to Saul, <clears throat> disobedience is looked down in the same way as idolatry and witchcraft. In other words, we're not on the right path. Now let's think about a better path. As we've already read, God has chosen to choose another who is a better man. Who's this man going to be? When we look in 1 Samuel, the 16th chapter, we see that the man that's going to be chosen is David. But as Samuel is sent to Jesse's house, they would assume that it would be one of the oldest sons. And so when the very first son was being looked at, apparently he was larger than David and maybe even uh, maybe looked stronger, maybe a better looking man. Everything pointed to them that that would be the man that would be anointed king. But I'd like for you to notice 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at the appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Who created our physical bodies? God did. So we are not suggesting by any stretch of the imagination that our physical body is something negative, it's something bad. As a matter of fact, it's the temple in which God dwells and, and the Scriptures teach us that we ought to take care of it. And so, please understand this imbalance. Are we to respect the temple of God, our physical stature, our bodies? Absolutely. Are we to find our identity and our successes based upon our physical body? Absolutely not. But we live in a culture that does. Just give a glance at the magazine rack. How much emphasis is placed upon the body? The beauty of the body. If you were from Mars and you dropped into the U.S. today and you just looked around and tried to figure out really what is being worshipped in America, I would guess that most of us would think these three things are worshipped in America. Beauty pertaining to the body, sports, the body performing, and sex relating again to the body. What do we as Christians battle to make sure that the culture doesn't transform us? Instead, let's let Christ transform us. We have to continually remind ourselves that what God is concerned about is the heart of man. Listen, when we start our four-year-olds out in T-ball, and we interact with them as if that's the most important thing in their life. We've messed up. It's not the most important thing in life. And I'm not saying don't start them out at four years old. You see the emphasis? 
The emphasis is, have we taught them that's the most important thing in life? When we're saying to our little girls in junior high about all these beauty tips that they have to have and we rave about a brand new outfit as if that is the most important thing in life, we've messed up because that's not the most important thing in life. Where's our emphasis? It's not that that sports doesn't have its place. It's not that beauty doesn't have its place. And it's not that sexuality doesn't have its place. God looked across the nation to find a man. And He didn't say, bring me the one that is the strongest physically. He literally told Samuel, this is probably going to fool you, Samuel. You're going to look for a man that was kind of like Saul. Remember, Saul was a head and shoulders above everybody else. He just kind of looked like a king. And he says, I'm going to pick this one. And you know what? He's not going to look what you think a king's going to look like. Why? I'm looking at his heart. There's not anybody here that because of your outward physical appearance, you don't have a shot. That's not the message. That's not the point. In other words, there may be a great athlete in this room. And you may be thinking, is he saying that? No, it's not that at all. It's an order a priority. It's the greatest priority in your life. I want a heart that is set upon God. Heart is your deepest desire. My deepest desire is to walk toward my master. My deepest desire is to spend eternity in heaven. My deepest desire is not to be one that troubles the people around me, but sets a wisdom, an example of wisdom and godliness for the people that are around me. So what does this man do? Very quickly, notice this. He goes to battle in the 17th chapter against Goliath. Remember, Goliath had stood before Saul and his men for 40 days. Twice a day, he had defied them and mocked God and God's army. And all Saul and his men would do were tremble. You see there, in verse 11, they were greatly dismayed and greatly afraid. <clears throat> Excuse me, what did we say a characteristic of this is? This pathway over here, a characteristic of it is fear. But yet we see David coming on the scene as a young man. And it really boiled his blood, spiritually speaking, that, that an individual would stand before the army of God and defy God and no one there do anything about it. And so he speaks up and declares that he's going to do something about it. Now keep in mind, that first brother that was brought before that they thought was going to be anointed king and he was anointed king, when he sees that David wants to do something about it, that first brother speaks up again. In verse 28, now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. By the way, I'm in 1 Samuel 17, 28. 1 Samuel 17 and 28. And, and David said, he was aroused against David, and he said to David, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the in insolence of your heart. For you have come down to see the battle. What's David's answer going to be? Oh, so you're trying to turn me into the little shepherd boy. And you're the big brother soldier that, that's such a great guy. And you think that I don't see enough action out in the, the sheep fields. So I've come down here as if to, to see great entertainment. Is he going to strike back in that same vein? No, this, this man has a heart like God's. You know what he's concerned about? He's not concerned about putting his brother in his place. He's concerned about keeping God 
in David's heart, keeping him in his place? Is God going to be David's priority? I love this answer. Now, there's a little bit of debate about exactly what's meant by this, but I I want to answer this the way I understand verse 29 to be. Look at David's answer in 29. And David said, What have I done now? Is there not a cause? I love that answer. Isn't David at this point looking at that soldier that is defying God's men? And he's looking around as if to say, isn't there at least one man that believes in the cause of God enough to go out and stand against him? But what if all these other men are like their leader Saul? And maybe they're on the wrong track. Because over here, it's based on pride. And see, pride would say, oh, if I go out there, I might get hurt. And that would be about me standing before a giant. And I don't know if I can slay a giant. But you see, David is over here and he is in a relationship with God. David is over here a man after God's own heart. And so you know immediately what he's thinking? If I die, I die. If I live, I live. But I know this, God's cause is worth fighting for and I believe God will deliver me. I believe that God will place Goliath in my hands. As we've already sung this morning, he literally tells Goliath before he kills him, Don't you love that? He goes up and talks to him before he kills him. And you know what he tells him? This battle belongs to the Lord. And then he proved to him that the battle belonged to the Lord as he killed him and cut his head off. Do you see that along with humility comes great courage and strength? Along with pride comes great foolishness and weakness. Saul's men were weak because they were following a leader full of pride. David shows up and shows great strength, but it's not in himself. It's because of the God that he serves. Because he believed there was a cause worth dying for. Worth making sacrifice. This morning, I hope that you believe in the cause of Christianity so much that you could honestly say, I'll sacrifice anything for the Lord and for His kingdom. Do you believe in the church so much that you'd say, I would sacrifice anything for the church? Friends, when we look through the new covenant, that's what we understand Christianity is supposed to be. Stephen believed in the cause of the kingdom enough that he would preach and die at the end of the sermon. Paul realized the cause of the kingdom was so important that he knew that he was finishing his race, not because he was dying of an old age, but because he was going to be killed because he was walking and running that race. And then finally this morning, and we close with that 24th chapter. You see, in the 24th chapter, by this time, David has had to run away from Saul because Saul has grown jealous of him and fearful of him, and wants to kill him. And for at least seven years, David is going to run and live part of the time with enemies. He's going to live in caves. He's going to be fleeing from Saul and the Israelite army. And so he has quite a task at hand just in surviving. In our daily Bible reading that that we've been participating in, many of us have been reading through Psalms. Many of the Psalms were written during the time that David is having to live in caves this time period that we're reading about right here. And so it just so happens that as Saul 
is looking for David in Engedi that Saul chooses to use the bathroom in a cave that David and his men are hiding out in. Now, if you walk in from the outside, your eyes haven't adjusted and you can't see in looking into a dark cave. But the men, their eyes have adjusted and they're looking toward the mouth of the cave and they can see. David's men believe that this is an opportunity that God is giving him to kill Saul right there on the spot. And instead, he creeps his way up to him and cuts off the corner of his robe. Why did he do that? Why didn't he kill him? I want to close with, with just helping us see this, to me, is a powerful point of why he didn't kill him. Look at verse 6, and then we'll skip down and look at verse 12. This is how David described it. David said, he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. Now this is the man that you're having to run from for seven years and live in caves. Would you have that kind of mindset? David, this is your opportunity to kill him. No, I'm not going to kill him. Why are you not going to kill him? He's my master. What? Yes. He is the Lord's anointed. Do you respect God's plan enough to follow the plan even if you don't respect the person? Romans 13 tells us that God ordained government. This is a perfect example where the man wasn't right. But David would not take into his own hands action against the man. Well, what was David waiting on? He tells us in verse 12, Let the Lord judge between you and me. He's talking to Saul now face to face. Let the, Lord's ju- let the Lord judge between you and me, and let the Lord avenge me on you. But my hand shall not be against you. Do you respect God and His words, His plan so much that you wouldn't act against God? How many times instead do we think it's our place to put people in their place? The Lord says, vengeance is mine, I will repay And a lot of us say, I don't think God's repaying good enough. I'm going to help God out. A lot of us say, I don't think God is repaying fast enough. I'm going to speed God's vengeance up. And here's a man that said, look, I'm having to run. I'm having to live in caves. I'm having to do everything just to survive. But if it's not God's timetable for him to die today, I'll keep running from him. But I'm doing this on God's time. Listen. Everybody here has had situations, struggles, weaknesses, challenges that they've dealt with in their life. But I assure you this, if we start plunging and plowing through those based upon our thoughts and based upon I don't want to wait any longer, what we're going to find out is we're going to find out that we're on this road over here and there's a lot of pride and there's a lot of foolishness and there's a lot of disobedience and there's a lot of pain and a lot of fear on this road. But if I can say, God, there's nothing more I want in my heart than to serve you and spend eternity with you. And God, I'll stand with you and I believe in your cause no matter what the cost. And God, I respect you. 
and I will wait upon you no matter how long it takes or what it costs me. I'll wait. This morning, every one of us, we're somewhere. Where are you? Where are you this morning? Do you need to change directions this morning? Do you need to move this morning? Is there anything that we can do to help you with that? This morning, if you've never been immersed into Christ, do you want to come to Him? Moving out of the world and into Christ as a believer, confessing before men that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, repenting of sins and being immersed. Maybe you've already become a child of God and and you've left God, and this morning you kind of shake your head and say, how did I get here? The important thing is, how do you get back? Are you ready to repent and confess sin and pray forgiveness? If we can help you in any way, come as we stand as we sing. I need every hour.